right. Will you snap into yours? Will you snap into a Slim Jim? All right. I think we're good. Snap into a Slim Jim. <laughs> I think we can maybe separate these from our face. It looks really loud. Oh. But I don't know. Oh, my God. <gasps> okay. Fuck it. We're back. We're back. First of all, happy St. Patrick's Day. Welcome. No, but you know when this will air? April Fool's. Well, second date, right? Should we put it out on Thursday for an April Fool's joke? Yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> April Fool's. April Daily. Fools. Speaking of it, daily, I've done an April Fool's already. Really? Remember when I put it out a day early and people were oh. like, this is great. I'm like, ooh. I, and then I sent you a video of me almost doing it again. Again, you were like, look, I'm not going to do it again. Here's me <laughs> scheduling it for the right day, Saturday. And I was like, really? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Did you ever play an April Fool's joke? No, but I had the literal worst April Fool's joke played on me. What happened? My April Fool's joke is I was in a youth group in high school. Pause for effect. The (laughs) It sounds culty, but it was this, like, amazing youth group where we would go on spring break and we'd do, like, we'd, like, serve soup. Try to hire people to work for Jesus. (laughs) It wasn't totally, listen, it was through a church, yes. It was not Jesus-centric. In fact, I was, like, very open about being like, I think I'm agnostic. And they were like, totally chill. Let's actually just help people. Great. I was into it. I was raised Catholic. And then I was pissed because the Catholic Church wouldn't do, like, service shit. It was, like, a bunch of high schoolers meeting on Sunday night and being like, this is not a fucking, like, if we're going to be talking about, like, quote, Jesus's work, let's fucking do shit. So I went to this other church group that my friends were in, and we would go on spring break, and we'd go, like, so this year we went to DeLand, Florida. Uh, spring we, break capital spring, of the world. Spring break capital of the world, where we helped um, mentally handicapped adults in a home. And so we would go and we would help them, and it was an incredibly moving week. It was really amazing. April 1st landed around those days. So it was pretty typical where the adults in the group, who, by the way, were getting drunk every night, I think, would do a prank. So what happened was, is we all were staying in tents when we were down there. And in my tent, there was this girl, Katie, and she was wearing black pants and something happened where we didn't know this at the time, but the dye came off on her pants and her legs were like purple. Mm -hmm. So the adults were like, sick, let's use this. So they hid her away and they told everyone that she had a bacteria infection and that the people that were most vulnerable were the people in the tent with her, which was me and a couple of my friends. Uh-huh. And we were, I was the second, it was like we were driving back into to Chicago from Florida. We were staying in Gainesville, Florida. But what they convinced us was that they needed to hose us down. So, so they took, they were like, get in your bathing suits in the middle of the night. And they took baby powder and they poured it all over us. And then they hosed us down. And I remember being aware enough. Were they the- laughing? I think so, but I was laughing because it was so absurd, but I remember, like, jokingly being like, please, sir, can I have another? Like, as a joke, because I was like, this is, like, hazing. We're in a college town, and it was hazing. Completely. And then they were like, psych, April Fools. But they had convinced us nimble, stupid high school brains that this purple leg was, like, poor circulation and a bacteria. (laughs) 
I want to see the legs so bad. <laughs> it just was like, remember when you wear black pants and like dye would get off and it would just be. No, like, I don't think that's ever happened to me. You've clearly only bought really nice pants. <laughs> My pants, easily, baby, easily <laughs> on your clothes, on yourself. But like, and so they were purple. Her legs were purple. Um, my it was pretty dramatic. My parents love April Fools, and when we were little, what was fun is instead of playing like a mean trick on us or something, they would do wackadoo things that were like a trick on the world. So an example oh, would be like we for dinner, they would take us to an ice cream parlor, and we would order just banana splits, and we would have banana splits for dinner, or. That just is like a fun day. Yeah, we wore one morning. But my it was dad really, got you us. You thought it was up. like it was like April Fools to the man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who doesn't want you having those banana splits? Damn the man! We're doing it. <laughs> my dad woke us up one April Fools and was like, "We're going out to breakfast, but none of you are allowed to get dressed." So we all wore our pajamas fun. and went out to breakfast. So everyone at the restaurant was like giggling and weird because there was this family there in their pajamas. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's a fun prank. Not I think it's like nice. posing a 16, 17 year old person in a that's a little dark. It honestly, when I tell the story, it feels really bad. You like, feel like you want to be like, and I was laughing. I was laughing because <laughs> it really didn't feel like people are going to listen and be like, Carrie, are you okay? I'm really okay. <laughs> Have you I'm talked really, to anyone about that? I'm really fine. It was definitely like, listen, I think the adults knew they crossed a line and I'm friends with some of them still. Like we talked on, they're like, yeah, that was a little too far. Well, you have to get them back. <laughs> If I waited this long, it's really good. (laughs) Speaking of April Fools, I have to tell you the funniest thing that happened while you were gone that I think is appropriate to this theme. Please. So in New York, there was a couple. We had our first fake spring. So fun when it's fake spring. Everybody goes out and it just feels like we can conquer the world. Mm -hmm. So I sat in a park and I was having some beers with some friends in our masks. Thank you. And I wore, this is important, I wore like a light camo jacket that I have. Mm-hmm. It was like oh, spring. It was just amazing. I wore a t-shirt with a camo jacket over it and I was perfectly tempered. Oh, it was like I was perfectly you are speaking fine. my language. It was like 60 degrees. Like, oh, it, at night it did turn cold, but it was six. So we're sitting in the park having some beers. I hadn't seen enough people that day, similar today. So I'm just like talking and like just happy to be around humans. There's dogs off leash all around. And my friend Drew was like, oh, careful. There's something behind you. And a dog had creeped behind me. And so we joked and I was like, freeze. Like it was like Jurassic Park. It was like, don't move. And it was like frozen. And then they went, oh, 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 oh. And the dog lifted its leg <gasps> no. and peed on me. No, no, no. Why? <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> the, dog, the dog straight up peed on my camouflage jacket. Oh, my God. And it felt like, and everybody was you like, thought it was, You thought you were a bush? Because you were I frozen really and still, wearing camo? I was really still wearing camo. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe that. The worst is that people, Drew was like, oh, I'm so sorry, like, being really kind. And I was like, I need you to laugh with me right now. I don't need, like, oh, wow, are you okay? Because I'll cry. Not even, <laughs> I wasn't that. I, I felt like I had just fallen in front of everybody. And no one was laughing with me. You know that feeling? You're like, laugh with me. This is objectively. F- I just got peed on. Right. By a dog. And I pulled a full Karen not really but I did a little where I was like whose dog is 
because the dog didn't have a fucking Whose owner. Whose dog is this? Like, okay, call the manager. But I was like, Whose I'm going to pee on it. <laughs> and this woman came who was knitting and clearly was like not all there. And she was like, oh my God. She was like in her 20s or 30s. She was like, oh my God, that's never happened before. Do you want me to wash your jacket? And I was like, I think that'll be more work for both of us. Hand me a 20 and we'll call it a day. Yeah, she didn't offer. I was like, it's fine. You've got to do that. By the way. If a dog pees on you, offer financial com- financial and emotional compensation. Do the right thing. So she was like, do you want me to wash it? Why would I give you my jacket to wash? Yeah, let's become best friends. Let's go to your house right now and this fucking play dog Super anymore. Nintendo while you wash my camo jacket. No, no. By the way, you're listening to... Truly. Darkly. Creepily. I'm Carrie Ipema. And that is me, Quinlan Posner. I was doing an April Fool's. I, I got I you. I got confused. I was going to say, my name is Bush because I got fucking peed on. <laughs> And I waited to tell you that story because I was like, this is this is worth the podcast. People want to hear when Carrie gets peed on. People like a golden shower's tail. <laughs> I just feel like, listen, I didn't have as much of an existential crisis about it as I think my friend anticipated, which is why he was like, you okay? Right. He's like, you got peed on. I also, for the record, earlier that day, I had, did, I had done a commercial audition and... They just wanted you to make a face that implied you were nauseous for 30 seconds. Can so I that, see your face? Um, I want to show you the video, but it's oh. truly, yeah, but it was like, you had to do this, but I remember being like, <sighs> oh, yeah, you look really, that's great. Thank you. You that look really nauseous. That actually was more degrading than the dog being on me. <laughs> you were like, that I wanted to talk about afterward. Like, I was, I think because I had just showed him the video because I was laughing so hard because it's so stupid. Like, commercial auditions are so, so stupid. stupid. They're worth so much money if you get it. But they're so fucking stupid. And they're degrading. And then I got peed on. <laughs> Sounds like a really hard day. <laughs> Luckily, my friend had a washer and dryer, so we went back to his house and he washed my jacket, which is oh, very what nice. a gem. What a gem. Jesus Christ. Um. So I want to promote Patreon. Oh, my God. Can I? Not only can you, I, as someone who was not in these two surprise episodes. Okay, right now there's only one surprise episode. There might be a second surprise episode coming out this month. Straight up, guys. We'll just tell you the truth. Aww. We released an an episode of an interview with criminal defense lawyer Larry Posner. And we talked about the JonBenet Ramsey case and some theories and what he thinks about it. And then we did a second interview that's going to come out in a couple of weeks that is just about, I don't know, I kind of opened it up to Patreon questions. Some of the questions they wanted to know answers were, uh, has he ever cried in court? Has he ever been fearful for his family because of someone he was defending? So you are going to get to hear all these fun answers from him. You're going to get to hear about crazy clients he's had, clients that screwed him over. Very fun stuff. It's so, I listened to it and I truly, here's what happened. Quinn edits the first part and I do the second pass. And I was going to give it like a brief listen just to check quality and then put it up. And then I found myself being like, I I, got to listen to the whole thing. I was totally enthralled. I loved it. He's so great. Yeah. So so join Patreon. Do you know the story he didn't tell that I wish he had? Which one? I should have asked, like, tell me about a celebrity client. But do you know who he defended? Who? Eddie Vedder. Pearl Jam. (laughs) 
It was Wait. like a really minor infraction that had to do with fighting with security guards at one of the concerts. But um, he Wait, was Eddie cool. Vedder's lawyer. And as a result, he got free tickets to a concert with backstage passes. And I was in fifth grade at the time and got to go oh and God. watch a Pearl Jam concert from the side of the stage. Like you couldn't see me, but Wait, I was on the so stage with them. cool. Yeah. And Brianna was there, who, if I was in fifth grade, she was in second grade. And she fell asleep on top of one of the speakers with noise-canceling headphones on. Do you have a picture of that? No, but... That's really... my that dad so said that peak, Brianna. It's I so good. That. And my I dad said that. that the band would later talk about it. They'd be like, oh, that's the kid that fell asleep on the speaker. Like, they're like, so... <sighs> heavy metal you know and it's well, like there's this kid passed like, out at their concert what, i bet with the noise canceling maybe it was like white noise and like the vibrations maybe Must she was like comforting. this is so fucking soothing well so then after the concert i got to meet the band backstage i had a polaroid camera around my neck yeah and i was wearing my coolest outfit in fifth grade which was um oh, a tie-dye peace sign t-shirt quinn i'd crimped my hair i looked great I'd crimp my hair, which, by the way, I think Eddie Vedder had crimped his hair. <laughs> or do you know, the same. in his defense, he put it in French braids and slept on it. <laughs> <laughs> so when he met me backstage, I was like, hey, like so awkward, like so awkward. Did not say thank you, did not say anything. Was like well, really quiet. Ten years old. So I was like, hey. And he goes, oh, cool camera. Could I get a picture of us together? And I'm like, okay. And he, like, was smart enough to know that I was not going to ask for one. And he made it his thing. We're like, obviously, Eddie Vedder really wanted a picture with this cool kid with a tie-dye peace sign shirt. And he had somebody take two of our pictures together. And he kept one and gave and was like, do you want one? (laughs) Like, gave me one. That's really. Does that make you love him so intensely? I just love that. Well, it also means that you're. As someone who also has taken pictures with people before, sometimes... Like, Everyone's always requesting your pic when you mm-hmm, go out. Mm-hmm. They're like, wait, are you the mm-hmm. girl from... Are you the co-host of Truly Darkly Creepy? And they recognize it from my face. Are you the Carrie Ipema? <laughs> they hear me talking or cackling and they're like, oh my God, Truly Darkly Creepy? Is that you? Um, <laughs> no. After One Woman Sex in the City, usually people... Like, I'll go out and I love to meet people after the show. I probably look really desperate because I go I'm liking everyone. Tell me I did good. <laughs> Tell me you loved it. But people want to take pictures with me, which is really nice. And and sometimes people are like, can I? And you're like, yes, please come take a picture. Like sometimes you have to convince them because they're awkward about it. And so you want them to feel more comfortable. So mm-hmm. like you're like, yes, can we, let's take a picture. Sometimes they just offer it up and they're like, actually, we didn't want a picture. <laughs> we have to go. <laughs> you just made us really uncomfortable and That's we'd like so to leave. Sad. Speaking of which, um, I just got an offer to do One Woman Sex in the City in Fort Worth, Texas for all of our Texas listeners in Girl, August. Do it up. So I'll keep you posted on what that looks like. But I feel so excited at the prospect of theater happening again. Mm-hmm. Can you believe? No. Uh, I could do without it. Got my Netflix. Got your Netflix. Never going to leave the house again. Yeah, why? Doesn't go well for me when I do. I am having some major anxiety about us returning to normal. In a way, it's like, I don't know if I want to. I do, I do, I do. But I don't know if I want to. I get it. It's so scary. 
Let's so just scary. we could build a bunker. I think Do it's your you turn to tell the have story. The for- time to listen to me whine. All right. So I go first. I think you go first. Fine. On this episode, currently, right now. <laughs> the one that we're recording? Yes. Smart. I'm going to tell you the story of Dun 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 Foxy Noxy. <gasps> We were waiting for this one. Guys, I got my information from ABC, Biography.com, Oxygen, Vanity Fair, an article by Judy Backrack, mm. and of course, Judy. the Amanda Docs, Amanda Knox, <laughs> the Amanda Docs, all the Amanda Docs on Knoxville. I mean, Netflix. What is happening? <laughs> Try to say Amanda Knox Doc on Netflix. Amanda Knox Doc on Netflix. Now say it three times. Amanda Knox Doc on Netflix. Amanda Knox Doc on Netflix. Amanda Knox Doc on Netflix. And that is what a theater degree will get you, folks. Folks, BFA bitch. Pretty impressive. (laughs) That's a musical theater, BFA specifically. I'm sweating. What else is new for me? Every day I sweat. Cry me a river. Sweat me a river. Sweat me a fucking river, Quinn. (laughs) Come on. So, you guys, what's so wild is... I went to Perugia. I went to the same abroad program that Amanda Knox went to. And so whenever I was reading about this, I could picture everything. The town, the bars. Because it's a small town, It's a small town. Picture Soho in Italy at the top of a mountain. It's a really crazy town. Soho? Like... Yes. It's like cobblestone streets, fancy, fancy stores, restaurants you don't belong in. It's fancy. Oh. Oh, yeah. Perugia is fancy. And it's got, escal- at least the part that the were housed in and the universities in. And they're the, it's at the top of a mountain where, when you get off the train at the train station, mm-hmm. in order to get to the cute town, you have to take a series of escalators to get to the town. Wild. Isn't that weird? Escalators. What do they do in the, when, it's, when it rains or snows? Um, they're they're in tubes, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But you're going around that the city sense. taking these escalators. They're in caves, some of them. I mean, it's pretty wild. Fun, though. Super fun. Gorgeous town. Amazing pizza. Do I even have to talk about it? It's nuts. You could if you want to. Do they do pineapple on their pizza? No, they're not idiots. <laughs> and that is how we know. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, Hawaii. <laughs> I love you, too. Does Hawaii do pineapple on their pizza? Do you know what a Hawaiian pizza is? It is called a Hawaiian pizza. I'm just putting that together. Noted. And we're moving forward. <laughs> April Fool's. Moving April, along. April Fool's. The nice one, April Fool's, is where you say something stupid and just go, April Fool's. I was kidding. I joked you. You're I the, joked you. You're the con. I joked you. <laughs> Perugia is the site of the only time I've wet my pants as an adult. Also. <laughs> I wish there was only one site where I could say that. <laughs> New York City subway. I, there's a yeah. lot of places. Well, I, just, I think it's important to mention because um, that's one of my memories is that I Your shared daughter, a room. Your parents are going to be so proud. As you do. Well, this is what's weird. You would think I would have been drunk, but I wasn't. So, okay. In yeah. the style of John Bobbitt, I had had like two Baileys that night. That's how I, when I peed my pants, I was like, I had a couple glasses of wine. Yeah, n- weird. It's, it's, I peed it in my sleep, though. I peed it in my sleep. So I oh. had a dream I was peeing, and I woke up, and I was peeing. <laughs> and then I had a roommate, and she was like, what are you doing? Because I got up in the middle of the night and was, like, 
crying and taking sheets off my bed and like mostly just because I was tired and mad. Oh, um, I mean, also embarrassment is a thing. I cried when I peed my pants because I was like, this is so embarrassing. You just feel very out of control when Yeah, you feel like, you. yeah, it really, especially being a young adult, it really questions your adulthood. Ugh. So she was like, what's going on? Like kind of in her sleep. And I was like, nothing. Go back to bed. Like threw all my <laughs> stuff in the wash. Fucking <laughs> lay down on like a jacket and went to sleep on my bed. Like so pissed. Pun intended. Very. So that's my Perugia story. But um <laughs> And that's your experience in Perugia. Let's go to was Amanda and you know was a bit great? different. Amanda says in in the documentary she sort of expected this program to be scholarly and that she'd have a lot of work and in the first couple of weeks realized like, no, I won't have a lot of work. That's not really the style of the program. And I can tell you that my my class load when I was there, <laughs> get ready for it. I think I, I took, remember one class, but I can't wait I to took remember. Italian. I took Italian literature, which was fun. We got to read books, photography, and I took Italian food. Those were my four classes. Is this the Italian food class where you served everyone? um, Spaghetti carbonara with raw egg. egg. Did not cook the egg all the way through. (laughs) Didn't, I didn't even fail the class though. That gives you any idea. Like that class, we like went, part of our class was that we went to Tuscany and these like farm women, these like Italian women that are like, know what they're doing. Nonas. Yes, fucking Nona's made us like a nine course meal. That's what I'm talking about as far as like class Academic loads. class load. Noted. Yeah. God, I wish I could go back to school and go to that program. Oh man. It's, I'm, I doubt it's accredited anymore. They might have gotten <laughs> wise to the fact that you do not learn anything. And then which this was happened great. with Amanda Knox. Right. Well, this happened a few years after I was there. Yeah. Um, so... The documentary starts and Amanda kind of says, listen, she didn't say that, but she's like, either I'm a psychopath in sheep's clothing or I am you. And I thought that was such an interesting thing to say because we're sort of watching this through the lens of the media coverage of it. What can be scary to me about this story is I relate to it could be me. It could be us. Um, It won't be me because I'm. Uh, more relatable than Amanda Knox. And that's a big part of this, actually. Um, Right. But what I'm amazed by is that I'm on a lot of true crime groups online, and I see people all the time, you know, name a person like Jeffrey McDonald, for instance, uh, guilty or not guilty, or Scott Peterson, guilty or not guilty. And I think those are really interesting questions to ask. People all the time still say, Amanda Knox, guilty or not guilty. And every time I see it, my mind explodes. Because I'm yeah. like, really, this is still a topic in this way? I should get into it. Amanda grew up in Seattle. She was a weird kid. Uh, we all know them. She was one of those people that, like, um, sang musical. She's like you, Carrie. No. <laughs> <laughs> she was blonde. She sang musical theater. She had an awkward stage in her life where she looked like a boy. It was but she definitely was one me. of those people that was, like, walking through the hallways at school singing and drawing attention to herself and making other people sort of uncomfortable i didn't do that okay yeah you would yeah she, um, you sound like you're not sure <laughs> well i want to believe you <laughs> um, i so desperately want to believe you <laughs> desperately want to believe you desperately want to believe what you say is true but i know in my heart of hearts it's not no this is why i believe you she seemed impervious to other people Subtitian of her. Yeah, okay. Yes. That does not strike me as you. Gotcha. Yeah. That's 
from what you know of me, you think I care what people think? That's insane. I have no idea what you're referring to. But she is sort of, when she goes to Italy, she's just getting out of maybe this awkward phase. Not in behavior, but in looks and starting to be like... She's beautiful. She is. She's gorgeous. Um, But she, you know, she's a young woman. So she's showing up uh, and she doesn't know how pretty she is, I think. Mm, Okay. Or that she would be seen that way. Okay. Um, She ends up rooming with a a group of gals in their 20s. Um, Two of them are Italian and her roommate, Meredith Kircher, is a 21-year-old from Surrey, England. She's super different from Amanda. She's quiet she's shy she's studious um i don't know how that paid off in this program but um like i said when amanda gets there she's like this is not a hard program i'm gonna get a job so i can like meet people and be part of the culture blah blah so she gets like a twice a week gig at a bar um called le chic fun place to work get a flirt get to meet people Oh, my God. One time I was at a bar in Perugia. Mm -hmm. I was drunk. And I was trying to speak Italian, which I was better at when I was drunk. You just were speaking Spanish. (laughs) But it turns out, no. I was talking to somebody, looking at them, and they always have nuts. In Italy, there's always snacks at the bars. One reason 25,000 why I love To go to fucking Italy. But there's always little cups of food. I go to eat. Oh, no. These nuts. And I'm talking to somebody eating some kind of trail mixer nuts. And then I put one in my mouth. And it tastes terrible. And it's spongy. And they start laughing. And I spit it out and look at my hand. And I had actually just reached into the ashtray. And I was chewing cigarette butts. <laughs> just chewing no, no, cigarette no, no, no. butts. I went home after that. I was like, I think it's it's time to call it. <laughs> just was time to call. Wow. Um, oh, my God. I anyway, that. Meredith is not, like, running around being social the way Amanda is necessarily. She gets a group of friends quickly mm-hmm. and is kind of complaining to them, I guess, about uh, how active Amanda's social life is and how she has, like, a boyfriend right away. Um, one of her friends says that Amanda's behavior seemed kind of, like, weird or strange and that, like, the first time they met each other, they were in this restaurant and Amanda started singing in a really loud voice. And I think they were all a little, like, embarrassed. Oh, so no. she has she's, weird behavior. Yeah, also, like, compared to, like, anyone else, she's, like, an American. And I feel like that also is, like, red we flag. Don't, yep. America, red flag. <laughs> and blue. And white. And stripes. But definitely stripes, red. But definitely there's some red in there. Can't deny it. <laughs> so I think the bottom line is Amanda's just not everyone's cup of tea, right? To borrow a phrase of England, yes. She's musical theater vibes. Relax, uh, relax, which, Quinn. Relax. Okay, you know that's not my thing. It's not my thing. <laughs> yeah, you calls with someone who is it. So it's okay, okay. Um, so some nights, um, they would hang out with guys that lived nearby or downstairs. Uh, one of them's a twenty-year-old named Rudy. Uh, oh, fuck, I don't know how to say his last name. Spell it. Spell it. G U E D E. Guede. Cool. He's uh from the Ivory Coast. So it's not an Italian name. Mm-hmm. Guidi. Guidi? I don't know. I went to high school with a kid that we called Guidi. So this know. guy doesn't really go to school a lot. He plays video games. Um, My kind of guy. On, and his past is a little weird, which is to say at some point he is discovered by police with a knife in an abandoned house. But he's quite taken with <laughs> Meredith when he meets her. He's like... Uh, he's into her. 
he comments on her looks for sure. He Cat says something vibes about. Or is it okay? I don't know. She's pre- she's really pretty. <laughs> so later this month, that they're all uh, abroad. Amanda meets this 23-year-old Rafael Solicito at a concert, and they hit it off right away, sleep together, start a relationship, but it's really intense. Like, let's hang out every minute of every day, and let's... What I call that is expiration dating. Like, their time is limited, let's get it all in, and, and then very, that like, We're young, we're in love, we're in Italy. Um, yeah. Let's hang out all the time, and they were doing, like, gross couple stuff like reading each other books i'm sorry if you can see Quinn's i face. think that's so gross <laughs> out of everything else she's like they were reading each other books all <laughs> like, right that's the line you have that's the line you draw love i don't it. i don't like that I love um it. so on november 1st um which is actually uh some sort of like religious holiday in italy i think it's all saints day maybe so. well Meredith sees Raphael and Amanda in the kitchen at their house. It's like four o'clock. They leave. They're not saying like what their plans are, but they leave. She goes out, uh, Meredith does, with her friends for pizza and ice cream. Probably gelato, not ice cream. I'm so sorry. And then she leaves. She's like, I'm tired. I'm going to go home. It's like late at night. Mm, I think it's like nine. We don't know what happens when she gets home. Okay. Now, that same night, Amanda with Raphael, they go to his place. Okay. They spend the night there. They watch Amelie. They make dinner. They fucking read Harry Potter. I'm sorry. She is you. They have sex. They go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) She gets home. She finds the front door wide open. This is Amanda. She goes in the bathroom that she shares with... Meredith, and she sees a couple of drops of blood but doesn't think anything of it, takes a shower. There. When she gets out of the shower and steps onto the bath mat, she sees there's more blood than she thought. Like, the bath mat has... It's like before she saw a couple drops, but then she sees, oh, this is, like, actually kind of a weird amount of blood. This isn't like, I started to have my period, oops. This is like something else is going on. And then she notices that in the toilet there's an unflushed dew. So it's sort of like, yeah, there's a poop just in the toilet, which she thinks is weird. Yeah, why would she? The door to Meredith's bedroom, she goes and checks. It's locked. Uh, and then I think that is actually when she notices that there's a broken window. And she's like, Meredith, Meredith, nothing. So what is weird is she doesn't call the police. She calls Raphael. And... What I read is that she went back to Raphael's. They had breakfast together. And she's like, things were weird at my house. And they go back. And then Raphael's like, this is weird. Let's call the police. Huh. So he calls the police. They come and they break down the door to Meredith's room. Mm-hmm. And there's blood everywhere and meredith is dead she's naked under a blanket and her throat is slashed she's been raped and sodomized and the documentary has like video footage of the scene of the crime um which is very upsetting yeah so the door um 
is all fucked with, the window's broken. It looks like really apparent that somebody broke in. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the cops notices that Raphael and Amanda are like comforting each other and kissing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which he says felt really inappropriate for the moment, the way that they were comforting each other. Like it was not like kissing, like, are you okay? It was kissing, like, make out. Yeah. Like, I think it had make-out vibes. So the detective is like, oh, I think the break-in looks staged. Okay. And I think it must, if if you wanted to stage that there was a break-in, that means that you're trying to throw the scent off yourself. If you are trying to throw the scent off yourself and you're going, oh, let's make it look like there was a break-in, then that points to it being somebody that, in fact, was able to get in or lived there. Yeah. Okay. So the next day, Amanda and Raphael go shopping, and they buy thong underwear for her, and the store owner hears them talking about having sex. Like, they're having, like, fun, sexy convo. Raphael does not have, like, a lot of girlfriends, so sex is pretty new to him, so makes sense to me that Yeah, I just can't imagine being like, let's get weird after my roommate and my bedroom was broken into no one can imagine that and that's why people are pretty upset about it right um there are footage there's footage of them in the store like shopping and acting pretty like chill and that's going to be used against them later um so they have amanda come back to the house and look in a knife drawer at the house and they're like can you tell us if anything is missing and she has a breakdown. Um, she, I I think what she says pretty much is that it started to feel really real mm. that this happened right. when she's being asked to do this specific thing and she's thinking about it. The detectives are like, oh, maybe she's reliving the trauma of having done okay. something. At this point, they do start to suspect her and they wiretap her phone They played some of the audio they got, and it makes her friend that's calling her kind of look like a dick, but not really her. I don't know how to explain this. It's sort of like, it's meant to, I think, make her look bad that they're having casual conversation that's about anything other than the seriousness of what's happened. Right. But it didn't strike me as Amanda being the one to lead the conversation toward inappropriateness. It was more this friend she was speaking with. Okay. The prosecutor in the case, he hears that Amanda has told a friend that she was the one to find the body under a sheet. In my mind, that's Amanda being dramatic and telling a story that's like, so I found her body under the sheet. For the cops, they're like... She lied. No, they're like, she's having a real memory that she was, she did see her body under the sheet. There's so much jumping to conclusions that they're doing. Yeah, there's a lot. So the day after all this happens, they're in a waiting room of the police station and Raphael's been called there. Not Amanda, but she comes with him. They're waiting in this waiting room. They go get a pizza. Raphael is teaching her uh, curses in Italian in the room and they're laughing. People besides the police, just like Meredith's friends, are super creeped out about how she's acting. Yeah, they think it's, it's not only is she acting casual and sort of callous, but she's also... Again, doing classic Amanda inappropriate behavior, which is to say, really bluntly stating the facts where somebody will be like, oh, I hope 
uh, she didn't suffer. And she'll be like, of course she fucking suffered. Her throat was slit and she was raped. Like, she'll say things like that, you know, like right. really aggressive. Um, she also, in the in the waiting room of the police station, starts doing like stretches and stuff and does a cartwheel. Be- it's <sighs> behavior that they're just like, we don't like this. We, we don't, don't like how you're acting. On, yeah. And we're Europeans. We're not Americans. Um, Americans are idiots. Europeans are classy. So yeah. I think they're a little put off by her class behavior. Doing a cartwheel in a waiting room after your roommate was murdered does seem not appropriate. But doesn't it also seem like it fits with just a true absence of awareness of what how other people are perceiving you? Like, almost like... How old was she when this was happening? 23? 22? 21? 20? I think she's 20. Was she one? Was she two? I think she's like 20. Okay. That's a guess. Um, anyway, they question Amanda about it. And she's like, I wasn't there. This is bullshit. And they're like, okay, let's see your phone. And she has a text between her and her boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, she worked at that place, Le Chic. So her boss says something like, have a good night. See you later. What had happened was he had called her and said, you don't need to come in to work. Mm-hmm. And she was like, great, I'm going to hang out with Raphael and read Harry Potter. Fine. Amanda texts him, great, have a great night, see you later. Maybe it's an Italian translation thing, but the police are like, what you have in fact said in this message is see you later. That means you were going to see your boss later that night. Why did you tell him you were going to see him that night? And she's like, that's not what I meant. I meant see you later, like, see you later. And they're like, no, that's not what this says. And rather than her sticking to her guns and being like, no, 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 this is what I meant. They get in a situation where she's being held for a long time in this room and they're pushing and pushing and pushing her. And she's finally like getting intimidated by the cops, getting scared. They start yelling at her because she says something like, I don't fucking know. Mm hmm. And they're like, did you just say, like, fuck to me? And she's like, no, that's not what I meant. And they're like, you just told me fuck you. They start yelling. They hit her on the side of the head. And they're like, remember, remember, try to remember. Like, they're doing this crazy thing where they're like, they're they're not beating her up, but they're antagonizing her and scaring her and intimidating her. And they won't stop. And, you know, we see false confessions all the time. All the time. This isn't a false confession. But what happens is she does start to make shit up to try to stop stop this. So she actually ends up pointing a finger at her boss, Patrick Lumumba, and being like, well, I guess I did see him that night because you keep telling me I did. And I guess I forgot about it. And I guess I might have been in the kitchen and heard Meredith scream and I think there's something I must have buried or blocked that has to do with my boss coming over. What the fuck? Meanwhile, they're they're picking on Raphael as well and doing these really long grueling sessions with him, which again is when his story starts to get weird and not match up with hers because they're just pushing them. And They both end up making false statements. They both end up retracting these statements and saying that the reason they made them is the cops were getting crazy with them. 
But he ends up saying something like, Amanda wasn't with me all night. There's like a bunch of times she's not accounted for, which isn't true. Mm-hmm. But he's, they're just pushing these kids till they break. Right. They find DNA on Meredith's body and bloody prints at the crime scene. It doesn't belong to Raphael. It doesn't belong to Amanda. Guess who it belongs to? That guy, Rudy, whose last name I can't say. He is pulled from a train in Germany. So he left. He fled. And all the handprints point to him. The DNA points to him. They bring him in for questioning. His story is nuts. He says he and Meredith had consensual sex that night. He had a tummy ache, went to the potty, made the do. Some guy broke in while he was doing the do, killed Meredith. He comes out, sees blood everywhere. And she said to him while she's dying, please don't leave me. But he's just so grossed out by all the blood that he leaves. He goes home. He, like, gets showered and cleaned up, changes clothes, and goes out to a disco and then a pub. So it's a great story because it explains die? why his poops in the toilet, why his DNA is on her. Like, well, like he, he's like, we did have sex for and sure. He saw her Some die stranger and then killed her and left while while I was crapping. Some guy came and killed her and left. When I came out, she's covered in blood. So I did the natural thing. I got went dressed to a pub. I left. I went to a disco. Didn't call the pub. police. Why would I? I'm busy. But he also was like, uh, Amanda has nothing to do with it. I think there was that little bit of conscience in him at that moment that he didn't want Amanda to get blamed for what he had done. Maybe. Because he's like, he could have pointed at Amanda in that moment and doesn't. His DNA is fucking everywhere, though. They do end up finding Raphael's DNA. They find a little bit of it on Meredith's bra clasp. And they love it. They grab onto that. Also, the eight-inch knife that they say committed the murder mm-hmm. has m- some of Meredith's DNA on the blade. Mm-hmm. And that's why they decided it it was the knife. And it has Amanda's DNA on the handle and they find it at Raphael's house. So there's this knife that they say, this is the knife that did it. And look, Meredith's blood's on the blade. Amanda's DNA is on the handle. This is the knife that did it. And it was at Raphael's house. And they're like, Raphael, why is this here? Why is this here? Why is this here? And he's like, I don't know. I think maybe it accidentally cut Meredith's hand while the three of us were cooking. And they're like, we don't buy that. That's nuts. So this is used to uphold uh, that he and Amanda were behind it. But not only that, the press decides that the story is that there was some sort of dangerous sex game going on. I don't know what a dangerous sex game is. It sounds great, but what the fuck is that? Who's is that like playing Red Rover and but having sex. sex? But sex, it's Red Rover, Red Rover. Well, when I think of a sex. dangerous game, I think of Red Rover. When I think of the most dangerous game, I think of the short story where people hunted man. Oh, mm-hmm. I think of Red Rover and how scared I was when people would send someone right over and they'd run toward my arm because they knew they that knew. I was scared and I was just going to give up because I hated that feeling of someone sort of breaking I your arm. I know that feeling. Why Why would you do that game? People hate themselves as children, so that's why. So this whole story gets built around this idea that Amanda's sort of like this sexy lady Macbeth that got... I think we all wear got... Foxy Noxy. Right. 
Well, we'll get to that. Um, so it gets built around this idea that she was sexy time with Raphael manipulating him and being like, you know what really turns me on? Murder. Let's kill my roommate. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. There were little nicks in Meredith's chin as though whoever had killed her with the knife had kind of, like, threatened her with it or poked her with it before killing her. Mm-hmm. Um, like, scaring her, torturing her, however you want to characterize that. But they were like, oh, it was a sex game. So the press is, like, calling this whole thing, like, What's a going on murder- with this Rudy guy? This guy clearly did it. I'll tell you. So the press is like, it's a murder orgy. Oh, my God. The defense is like, no, it's not. Also, it's just sloppy that you found that DNA on the brats because the crime scene wasn't dealt with properly. Also, they lived together. They lived together. Well, why was his DNA on her bra is still the question. I feel like she could have left it on the floor and he could have stepped on it. So here's, here's what ends up happening. October 28th, 2008, Rudy gets sentenced to 30 years in prison. Okay. Okay. Amanda and Raphael are ordered to stand trial, but Rudy had ba- basically been like, I want a separate, a fast track trial is what it's called, separate from the other defendants. Um, but the same day, a judge is like, there's enough evidence that Amanda and Raphael have to stand trial. So they're having these two separate trials for this murder. Will they let Amanda out of prison? Before she stands trial? No, they will not. They say that she needs to stay. The media is only telling one story. Right. And it's that there's this manipulative, sex-hungry... American girl. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. But it's like her personality's on trial instead of her actions. Right? Scott Peterson. So she's awaiting trial. She's in her cell 23 fucking hours a day. It's crazy. Whoa. She gets to go out for one hour for exercise. They do this really, really nutso thing where they get they, they are testing her blood and stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's just taking DNA but for the crime. But they're like, oh, you're HIV positive. What? And so she's keeping a diary while she's in prison. And it gets released to the press. And because she thinks she's HIV positive in it, she lists her the, whoever she's had sex with, which is something like, it's a really short list. It's like seven or eight people. But it turns out she doesn't have HIV. <sighs> They're just like mind gaming with her. Jesus Christ. It's so odd. So she and Raphael are staying in jail, awaiting the trial for 14 months. Yeah. They're in jail 14 months. Yeah, the criminal justice system is so different in so many different countries. Wow. So wow. the murder trial begins in January of 2009, and the media is like, we love this. During the trial, she's like, sticking to her story. She's like, I smoked pot with my boyfriend and slept at his house that night. That's what happened. The reason I talked about my boss, Lumumba, was because... I was under a crazy amount of pressure from the police. Meanwhile, not meanwhile, later that same year in November, Rudy places Knox at the crime scene during a separate appeal. He's appealing his sentence. 
Right. And he's now like, this seems like a really good idea. So he makes a statement where he's like, oh, actually, what I remember is that Amanda and Meredith got in a really big fight before Meredith was killed by this mystery man. Coincidence or not, what happens after he fucking tells this story is that he sees a reduction in his sentence, reduced to 16 years after saying that. He had 30 before. Jesus Christ. So he's getting rewarded for... For throwing her under the bus. Yes. So the press is not talking, though, about Rudy at all. Like, you guys probably don't... Look, I don't know how to say his last name. Amanda Knox, how much have we heard about her? I don't know how to say Rudy's last name. I haven't heard about him hardly at all. Because he's not interesting. The Perugia newspapers are, like, writing things like, from brilliant student to cold man-eater. They're just, like, character assassinating her. Jesus. Ugh. Amanda Knox said she had sex with seven men, but she was now known as some heinous whore, bestial, sex-obsessed, and unnatural. And if she's guilty, it means she's the ultimate figure to fear. And then she says, on the other hand, if I'm innocent, it means that everyone's vulnerable. And that's everyone's nightmare. Ugh. Another Italian newspaper called her Luciferina with the face of an angel. Jesus Christ. Also, like, I think what's hard is she does have this, like, calculating. Because she's smart. She, like, mm-hmm. does. She's well, so aware enough to talk about her own case that it does feel, like. Cold. It, it feels cold. It also feels, like, less of a victim in a way. Because she's able to fully comprehend. And, like, she's not, in, she's not, to, like, she is innocent. But, uh, but she's. She's cunning, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It's like, there is this part of her that, like, she... So what Vanity Fair says is what they had was her callous reaction, her changing story, an unsettling MySpace page. What they don't seem to have is is a case. Yeah, is any fucking evidence that she did it. The Foxy moniker we all know about that... So the press loved finding out about that Foxy Noxy thing and, and using it to their own in their own way which was like she's to create a sex crazed image of her cunning right what it actually was is that it was a nickname she got um from her soccer group as a child yeah like everyone had them everyone in the group had like fun little nicknames and hers was foxy noxy because she was like sneaky when she got the soccer ball and she would like my nickname growing up was babes anyone would see that and be like wow (laughs) My family calls me babes. Yeah, it's a soccer nickname. What would your <laughs> soccer nickname be? Um, if I played it, uh, good question. Um, party time fun gal. Oh, because <laughs> I just liked a fun time. Yeah. I, I was the girl that was distracting everybody, field. and I was singing a lot of Spice Girls. Yeah, soccer AYSO baby. Mine would be Quinlan the Quitter, because <laughs> I would quit. It would be great if I was Carrie the Kicker, but no, it was fun time nope. party gal. Fun time party gal. Well, imagine fun time party gal getting used against you years later screwed. where they were like, you know, Carrie, fun time party gal. <gasps> She's a partier. Yeah, with a exactly. Bad um, or like what Quinlan the quitter always making people quit their lives. <laughs> Same. You just don't. You got to. You, you know, know what? Don't. You got to be careful. You don't with those know nicknames. Careful. Yeah. Nicknames. Scary. Well, what happens is fucking two years they sit in prison. These kids. Amanda and Raphael, Jesus. and then they get convicted. She gets 26 years. Raphael gets a 25-year sentence. They're ordered to pay $7 million to Meredith's family, and Amanda Knox is also ordered to pay Lumumba $60,000 for defamation. What the fuck? How is this? Who was their lawyer? 
That's in December of 2009. So a year they stood trial, January 20, 2009 to December 2009, they were sentenced? Two years after the crime. Holy they're shit. Sentenced. Now they go to jail, but then get ready for it. I'm going to skip to the next part, which is that 2011, June of 2011, so we're like two and a half years later, Amanda and Raphael appeal the decision. Rudy testifies against them. So they're now he's like, my he's best like, shot is pointing a finger at these guys because the public likes these guys for yeah. it. I think before he thought there's no way that they're going to. And then he's like, oh, that's the direction you're going in? I oh, great. I'll jump up. Great, great, great. Yeah. He's I like get, its own little discount promo code. Amanda the, Knox. The appeal trial starts three years after the murder. And a convict comes forward at this time and is like, uh, just so you know, Rudy told me they were innocent. And Rudy's like, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. Didn't say that. But then forensics experts are like, whoa, 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 Tio. It looks like you guys really didn't keep the crime scene sterile. There could have been lots of transfers of DNA evidence. It's not like they accidentally got Rudy's poop to show up or jizz to show up. But maybe the DNA on Meredith's bra class. Well, they watch a video of the crime scene and people are coming and going in no suits. They're not wearing booties. Um... They're not wearing gloves. It would have been like DNA would have been transferring, transferring. They have on tape, on tape, the police at the scene talking about how disorganized they are. (laughs) The bra clasp. Jesus Christ. They had found the Who was her defense attorney, though, too? I'm like, who the fuck was that guy? Did not do a good job. No. Should have hired Larry Posner. Amen. So the bra class, they found the DNA on it 46 days after the murder. So, so many people have been touching it at that point that it feels like it's just no wonder that there could have been any DNA on it. Not only that, there were two other DNA profiles they found on it. But the police were like, uh, these ones don't matter. Let's talk about Raphael. That's the story we're trying to tell. The knife at Raphael's house. Mm-hmm. So remember, they brought the knife in to the police station to, like, run tests on it. But they had so much Meredith DNA at the police station. And then they think that that was how the Meredith DNA got placed on the blade. That it was like a cross-contamination It's good to know that it's a universal thing. That police are like, oh, we got a narrative. Let's do anything we can to stick to that narrative. Let's not look at the guy who admitted to having sets, made a dookie, and then fucking left after seeing her dead that's fine let's just ignore that completely idiots october 2011 of that year their convictions are overturned okay in march 2013 she gets the fuck out and goes to the u.s yeah oh yes in march 2013 italy's highest court says we want a new trial so they overturn the acquittal and reopen it they're like hell-bent on getting getting Amanda, who has moved home to Seattle. She's writing a book about how shitty this whole ordeal has been. And this retrial begins two years after she's acquitted. It's like she can't get away from this thing. Luckily, she doesn't actually need to be present, so she could stay home during it. On January 30th, 2014, she and Salicito, Rafael, they're reconvicted of murder. What? There's 11 and a half hours of deliberations. <laughs> is there something we don't know? Like, is there no. something we don't know? No. But here's the thing. 
it's not over till it's over. Basically, what happens is they take Raphael's passport. They're like, you're stuck. Stay here a minute. And Amanda Knox, they're like, you won't be extradited unless the ruling is upheld. The convictions are again overturned. 2015. In January of 2019, finally, Italy's ordered to pay damages to Amanda Knox for more than $20,000. That's not a lot of money. That's not enough at all. Did she have to pay the, the $7,060,000 no, for defamation? No, okay, no. Good. She didn't. No. She got $20,000. Great. Thanks. Rudy was fucking only convicted of assault and rape. He was just this past December granted permission to finish his sentence through community service and was released. And do you know what Amanda Knox said about it on Good Morning America? What? I do know that many, many, many people have suffered a great deal because of what he did. And I continue to be shocked that he is the forgotten killer, the one who was quietly tucked away, convicted of a lesser crime, and does not have to live with the burden of being forever associated with Meredith's death. Because the thing is, she does. People are still online going, do you think Amanda Knox did it? You guys, she didn't do it. There's no chance she did it. And because the media loved this story, this it was like sex thing. It was gone, a it, wolf in sheep's clothing. It was sexy. It was an American girl in Italy. It was something that could happen to you or your daughters. Yeah. It was like everything that the media fucking loves, they capitalized on. And the on. Rudy thing, they just, they never went with. They never went with. Even once they were proved wrong, though, there was enough of the court going back and forth with appeals that they hung on to the narrative that Amanda did this. And they never made it right by going, we were so wrong. Isn't it scary that this girl that didn't do this sat in an Italian jail this long? For years. But we didn't tell that story ever. So people's minds didn't digest it. So still, when I say to you, this Rudy guy did it, we all know he did it. It's really obvious he did it. Well, it's it's not only it's the press, but it's also the criminal justice system. The fact that they kept trying, that they were really trying to find him. It's like the media is guilty, certainly, but also the Italian judicial system is just as guilty. Right. My story. Are you done? No. Oh, I just want to say one more. <laughs> are you done? Are you fucking I done? Mean, I didn't mean it like that. You. It's just gonna be a long ad. Oh, I got to tell you one thing she said in the doc that I loved, though. What she said. Right now, you're looking at me, you're looking at my eyes to try to decide if I'm guilty or not. And she said, but why are you doing that? These are just my eyes. And I was like, yes, yes. That's not how you figure out if if she's guilty. And poor Amanda is this weird person that when you hear her talk, she is weird. You're like, well, she's cunning. That's a thing. She's really clever. So it does feel like, could she be manipulative? But you're also just, you're not... That's not how you decide if someone's guilty is if they seem like a guiltyish person. That's not right. it. And that's what she's saying is you're still all this. Tr- I'm going to present this case to you. You're going to have all the evidence you need and you're still going to be looking at my eyes. Quit fucking looking at my eyes. They're not going to tell you if I did it or not. <laughs> she wow. now uh, draws attention through her work to other women who've been shamed or vilified because of their sexuality with her new show, which is called The Scarlet Letter Reports. And Ooh. it's broadcast on Facebook Watch. So I think she likens herself to 
Well, it sounds like there's not much other work out there for her. She's kind of like, all right, Ugh. I guess I take this to the bank, use it, and help other people, like what we find a lot of victims do. And it's a story that is pretty familiar. So fucking common. Yeah. Anyway, that is, that's the story of Amanda Knox. And if I see any of you all post it on Facebook, I wonder who, you know, what do we all We're gonna think? We're going to fight. Guilty or innocent. We're going to promote this episode and also say innocent. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be a twofold. We're gonna promote the episode because girls gotta eat, and also she's innocent. Okay, okay. Wait, we need to do a shout out. Let's do a shout. Let's out. do a, a shout, shout out. out. We're gonna shout you out. We're gonna shout it out. Welcome to our newest Patreon subscribers, Hillary. Hillary. Deanna. Deanna. Marina. Marina. And Hallie. Hallie, yes. You guys. Thank you. We're excited. We're excited to have you with us. We're excited to be new best friends. And to the rest of you, get your act together. Also. What? Welcome to Leah. Leah. Welcome to Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. And welcome to Sarah from Carrie's hometown. Hi, Sarah. Oh, and also welcome Brittany. Brittany, free Brittany, maybe. Free Brittany, <laughs> and welcome aboard. Welcome the F aboard. Welcome the free aboard. Thank you all for being Patreon subscribers. Did we think Monica ever? Monica! <laughs> Monica, thanks for joining hey Monica, Patreon. Thanks, girl. We just, we're glad to have you. We're doing it. Listen, this is a catch-all Patreon because I think we fucked up. I think we're doing good, though. <laughs> We love you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Happy Fools. Happy April Fools. Um, wow. Also, my story, I'm so excited because it sort of connects to this. Okay, let's hear it. It's not the most connection, but it's about a woman and how the media portrays them. Um, I got this information from CBS, 48 Hours, People, CNN, Dayton Daily News, NBC News, Fox 19, USA Today, Cosmopolitan, Journal News. Lots of information or lots of stories. So it's about You're this girl. so well read. So well read. I just skimmed them. Um, her name is Brooke Skyler Richardson, and she's known as Skyler. Now, she, in 2017, is when this case is taking place. 2017, she's 18 years old. She's a senior from Carlisle, Ohio. She's planning on going to University of Cincinnati. She's a tiny blonde cheerleader. She's very cute. She's a flyer, so there's a huge a flyer in cheerleading. If we haven't watched the Netflix series, oh, do we toss the person? The person that's up in the air is the flyer, Makes toss sense. or whatever. So she, wait, she was always I don't want to say that she was a flyer. So wait, she always like an emphasis on being tiny was a priority. She also had a history with a with debilitating eating disorders. Yeah. So. Her mom talks about even when she was 12 years old, she wouldn't have a piece of gum because it had five calories. And her weight fluctuated. It's really, really sad. Um, And her family was dealing with this. I think you would burn the five calories just from the act of chewing the gum, by the way. But again, with eating disorders like that, her mind, and she's 12, like... Well, I'm just saying that to any dear readers that are debating gum. Right, yes. I'd say you'd break even on that. Go right ahead. Eat the gum, eat the chocolate, live your life. And if you can't, there are places and resources for help. And don't listen to diet culture because they're bad. You're beautiful the way you are. (sighs) Okay, so on April 26, 2017, again, she's a senior. She's 18 years old. Her mom takes her to the gynecologist because she's 
seeing this new boyfriend and her mom's like, oh, it's going to progress. We should get her on birth control. So her mom is like waiting and Skylar goes in. She gets checked out by the gynecologist and the gynecologist was like, oh, you're 32 weeks pregnant. <gasps> by her. That's very pregnant. Very pregnant. And if you look at pictures of this time, she's still so fucking tiny. Like, there's pictures of her in a bikini that spring break where she was seven and a half months pregnant and you can barely see a belly. She fits in her cheerleading uniform. That baby can't be doing great. Can't be doing great. She also, again, has this eating disorder. So she has crazy body dysmorphia. So I guess some I saw somewhere that she had gained, like, 15 pounds during the pregnancy. Like, not enough weight. She just was very tiny. And again, I guess... She has this, like, perfectionist idea of how she wants to look, so she's struggling with it. So she immediately starts crying and telling the doctor, she's like, I can't have this baby. I can't have this baby. Um, And she told the doctor, she's like, I don't want anyone to know. We can't tell anyone. And because the doctor can't tell anyone, she doesn't tell anyone. So she leaves the doctor's office, and she she tells no one, including her mother. No one knows. No one knows. There was uh, some drama about she wore this red kind of like mermaid prom dress. And there was some worry about it not fitting. But if you look at a picture of her, there is a very tiny, tiny bump that like is normal for me. Like it's how I actually look. She had no evidence that she was pregnant. So I can't say for certain if her mom knew or didn't. But the doctor would try to call her and she never called the doctor back. Her mom didn't know if she was pregnant. She looked into an abortion. However, she's 32 weeks pregnant. It's late to her. Not a thing. She can't do that. No. Um, I guess there's there was some Adoption. evidence that said she like looked online of like how to self-administer an abortion. She didn't, you know, right. there's some evidence of that, I guess. Okay, so she got the gynecologist appointment April 26, 2017. Mm-hmm. May 5th, 2017, she went to prom. Okay? She told no one. The next day, she started having really, really bad cramps. On May 7th... That's called labor, honey. That's called labor. May 7th, 2017, two days after her prom, she went into labor. Her family was asleep, and she went to the bathroom, and she felt like something had to come out. She pushed, and she delivered a baby that she claims was not breathing. The baby was stillborn. The umbilical cord wasn't attached to her placenta. She apparently waited for the baby to cry. The baby never cried. She named the baby Annabelle. So she's by herself in her bathroom in the middle of the night. She doesn't know. She hasn't told her family. No one knows. It's really messy. I just want to paint a picture. Mm -hmm. It's really messy labor. Mm -hmm. It's not like, I mean, it's buckets of stuff. That are coming out. That come out. It's not just a baby. Right. And a placenta. She says, this is her story, that she says she's in the bathroom. She's given birth. She's holding the baby. She names her Annabelle. The baby never cries. She doesn't know what to do. So what she does is she leaves. She goes to her garden. She gets a shovel. She shovels a shallow grave. She places the baby in her backyard and covers it with flowers that she wore to her prom. Okay. No one knew. That's a lot of work to clean that bathroom and you just gave birth. Mm-hmm. All right. After she gives birth, there's a picture of her at the gym right after. She sends her mom a text saying, my belly is back. OMG. I am never, ever, ever, ever letting it get like this again. You're about to see me looking freaking better than before. OMG. Yikes. 
She eventually, the doctor keeps calling her because the doctor has on record that she's pregnant. She eventually goes to the doctor's office. This part was a little conflicting of how they found out, but I guess the doctor obviously was worried. I think they might have called the police, but she went back. To, it's also reported that she went back to the doctor's office, took a pregnancy test, and when the doctor asked about the baby, Skylar broke down and said it wasn't alive at birth and that she buried the baby in her backyard, like admitted it, admitted it immediately right. and cried and was like, the baby wasn't alive. So that's when an investigation was started. They contacted her, they interviewed her, and they finally got access to her backyard. And in July, so a couple months later, they found the remains in a shallow grave in her backyard. Right. The police interviewed her. She said, I never meant to hurt her. I didn't kill her. It wasn't alive, is what she says. So they find the remains. They bring it back. They can't tell the cause of death. Right. There's no way that to makes determine sense. Yeah. if the baby had taken a breath that right. would that would that would um that would constitute it being an alive being mm-hmm. and it would imply mm-hmm. murder. When they were looking at the baby's ribs, they noticed that one of like at the end of the rib it was darker in color, the bone. And so they were like, Are these remains burned? And they interviewed her and they were like, Did you try to burn the baby? And I think similar to your story, which is like the police were like berating her, berating her, that she was like, Yeah, I, I tried to cremate the body and and so the detective wrote that the baby's foot was burned with a lighter and it went up all the way to the chest. Like she burned the baby and it just like ignited in flames. Then what? she put it out. So, and then the defense later was like, that's a fucking false confession. Like, she and didn't. And that's just a crazy it's insane. story. However, in the same meeting, which is when her parents found out what happened, her mom and dad came in and she was like, I'm so sorry. And I guess she admitted to possibly burning the baby. But again, their claim was that she was broke at that point, that they had, like, convinced her that the baby was alive. Because at that point, she was, like, changing her story where it was, like, immediately, like, the baby wasn't alive to, like, Maybe I squeezed the baby too hard or the baby cried and might have been alive for five minutes or the baby gurgled. And her defense attorney at the time was like, it's impossible for a baby that young to gurgle Mm -hmm. or something. But like she I can imagine I can imagine the trauma of having a stillborn baby and like being like, maybe it was alive. Maybe I maybe maybe I I did. You know, like I, I think the point is that people underestimate how scary it is, especially for young people. Mm. To be in a situation where the police are bullying them and telling them you're not giving me the right answer over and over and over again, that you will make things up and hope that you'll be that in hopes that you will give them an answer where they will stop and they will say that's what we wanted to hear and they will leave you alone. Right. Like, I also think it shouldn't be. We shouldn't take it so far, too, to say this woman, regardless of, and I'm not saying regardless in terms of, like, what's not important, but whatever this woman went through, independent of if she's guilty or not of certain things, what she went through was incredibly traumatizing, Mm -hmm. right? Like, even if, even if the baby was, if the baby was born stillborn and this woman had this baby by herself, which Mm -hmm. is her story... That's traumatizing enough. If her family knew and she still had this baby and like she was 32 weeks pregnant when she found out she was pregnant. She was 18 years old. She thought she was going to the University of Cincinnati. Like she thought she was a perfectionist. She had 
her parents even commented in an interview after the fact that they were like, we thought she was healthy. She gained some weight, but we thought she was healthy because she had all these mm-hmm. she had eating disorders for her whole life. So it's like, you know, but the prosecution, they were like, oh, she killed the baby. She had the baby. She killed it because it didn't fit with her, quote, perfect life. And then she tried to cremate the baby. But again, there that proof is like a little bit in is can't totally be it wasn't totally clear if that was actually what happened with the remains mm-hmm. it was conflicting she sent that text to her mom right after being like i'm finally getting my belly back which is like apparently does that feed this mom story being like we were worried we thought she was gaining weight was her mom telling her you need to lose weight like what actually was this like perfect life that they're creating they were interviewed by good morning america the woman who was interviewing them was like i felt they were they gave me access to everything they gave me information about everything they didn't hide anything there was no lawyer's presence they weren't lying it like these were people that were telling the truth were like this baby wasn't alive she was stillborn yeah but again the media came and they were like teenage girl kills baby buries in backyard and social media started you know she was it's 2017 so like everybody had opinions about this perfect cheerleader who killed her baby Right. That was the narrative. And the prosecutors charged her with aggravated murder, involuntary manslaughter and endangering a child. So that sentence carried uh, a life in prison. So, uh, that sentence carried life in prison. Oy. So that's what she's up against. She was actually offered a 15 year plea deal with the prosecutor. So they're like, you can get 15 years instead of life if you just plead guilty. She she didn't take it. She's like, no, I didn't do this. Because she, in her, yeah. Yeah. I in, believe her. I, I you wonder know why I believe her. I looked at the I don't the know story. anything about it. And just as you're telling it, I'm like, I'm I mean, only telling opinions it are and, like assholes, yeah. right? We all have one. And also ours is infiltrating the others. That's how I feel about assholes. Ours are infiltrating <laughs> the others. No, but I, when I was first looking the story up, it was like the story of like, I, it, the media got me where it was like, teenage girl kills baby. And it's like, did she know she was pregnant? And it's like, if the doctor is telling us that she was bawling and was like, no, and I can't have this baby, it sounds like to me was like, why weren't we giving her options? Like, why wasn't someone going, we need to talk Let's to you. Let's take you right to a counselor Let's and take you figure, right out, to figure a counselor. out what you're going to be able to live with. Exactly. And it's like, Instead of let you figure it out on your own exactly. without any resources. And she told no one, not friends, no family, no one. Wow. The trial was in 2019. It was a seven-day trial. 28 people testified. She did not. When they interviewed coroners and medical professionals, no one could definitively prove that the baby had ever been alive. Mm-hmm. So even if it was, there was just no proof. And unlike Amanda Knox, it's like that was a huge part of the case, right? Furthermore, because of her eating disorder, I mean, remember, she gained like a nominal amount of weight mm-hmm. when she got pregnant. She probably wasn't totally healthy right i mean think about it if she's that's why i'm that's why i'm thinking the baby was still right it's like there were so many things that her eating disorder could have done to affect the outcome of that pregnancy where it could have it having a stillborn baby is totally plausible in that Mm -hmm. scenario yeah there also is a possibility that like maybe she did try to abort the baby maybe she did maybe she took something Maybe but we'll never know that. So, and then if the baby was born, stillborn, it's like, there's not, I mean, I think finding her criminally negligent for YouTubing or not YouTubing for Googling how to abort a baby late term. 
I'm not saying that that's the right call. What I'm saying is, is a set, an 18 year old girl found out she's 32 weeks pregnant and she's fucking desperate and she's not telling anyone. Of mm-hmm. course, she's going to look that up. That's not surprising to me that she looks that up. Yeah. On her computer at all. Yeah. The jury deliberated for four hours and she was acquitted of murder charges, but she was convicted of gross abuse of a corpse. And that is a felony that requires a year, that is a maximum a year sentence. A juror came out afterwards and was like, there was just no proof at all that she killed her baby. There's Mm -hmm. no proof whatsoever. But again, the media was like, she killed the baby. Right. Um, At the sentence hearing, the paternal grandparents spoke. So her ex-boyfriend his grandparents spoke where they were like you've caused so much harm we've never were able to hold our grandchild they were like the baby would be four two years old right now and we'd be showering them with gifts for christmas like the victim impact statement of the paternal grandparents which listen they're in pain i feel that i just it's interesting i and they're like our son is totally scarred it's like why isn't he speaking then maybe i'm wrong in saying that but i i don't know i'm i I'm conflicted. I'm, I'm pregnancy and childbirth are both so traumatic, and I'm going to be a dick and say they're just. Um, this isn't about you, grandparents. This is about this young woman. And if her and if the fa- the baby's father said something, I feel like that would carry much more. But it was the grandparents of the boy who, like, they didn't know that he was having. Like, I just there's part of it that was like it felt a little bit like Ooh, picking that's a on pile her. on. Yeah. Um, but again, their impact, their victim impact, I guess, I'm not, I guess, they were impacted by this. If it was their grandchild that and it was, you know, that is dead. However, they're making a gross assumption that she killed. Well, they're not. They're saying that, that we wanted to mourn the baby. But they're also saying that the baby would be alive and they don't fucking know that to be the case. That's, I think, what bothers me. Is wow, that in this the is tricky. Hearing, yeah. Hearing is like, they're assuming that the baby was alive. Yeah. And that's not what was proven. Right. Um, but again, a victim impact statement could be said whatever you want. A Skylar spoke at the um, sentence hearing and she said she is forever sorry. And she said something to the extent of like, I know I can be selfish at times, um, but I'm working on it. And again, like, and she, I think she's referring to this idea where like, she didn't tell anyone. She even said, um, at the, at the sentencing, the judge even said was like, I think this is a case that's affecting two girls, two children. Skylar and Annabelle. You know, mm-hmm. it's like both of these. That's to me who it's about. I you mean, know, it's like these two yeah. kids in my heart. You know, he also said that. And it's recognizing that Skylar is a child. Right. Even Which she's she, 18. Well, I, she tried as an adult. I, I don't know. I think high school is a kid. And I think. Um, I mean, what's crazy, she went to the guy to You're still responsible for control. all your actions, but I really feel like we failed her. When there wasn't an intervention at the point of figuring out she was pregnant of let's sit and talk about how you feel about this and what your options are. It reminds me of, you know, sometimes I do work for Columbia where I do the, I go in to train doctors. I have a, I pretend to be a patient and they give me, um, here's, you are pregnant. It is not good news. Yeah, you, it just like teaches them bedside this kind stuff. of thing, and yeah, and when a, a doctor says to you something like, "One of the, these kids that are in med school learning how to be doctors say to me something like, "Congratulations," it's in order to teach them that's not appropriate. Right. That's not what you say to someone that's just learned they're pregnant because you don't know you if don't it's know. good news for them, 
And that's putting a further burden on somebody, telling them they're supposed to feel a certain way about it. And you'd be surprised that I think um, a lot of doctors don't have a good bedside manner, didn't get uh, adequately trained, make their own assumptions. And I think I'm not here to blame the doctor, but I am saying I think that the right course of action would have been Wow, you're 18 years old and we just found out you're pregnant and it was news to you at 32 weeks. Even if this person ended up saying, great, I've always wanted a baby and I'm going to have it. Hallelujah. It's still, you have to recognize that that's a really crazy set of circumstances and you don't just go, goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the way that that it was said and also like... You know, she's 18. She can't legally tell her mom, right? Her mom can't. Right, right, you know, right. She can't tell. So it's like, but but did her mom know? You know, I mean, but anyway, so. No, I'm her mom inclined didn't to know. No. That's so dark that you cannot make the, you can't skip to the crazy assumption that. It, right, but that's what the media was saying. The media of even course. like. Of course, well, they'd have because loved it she if there was a family her. of cannibals that ate the baby. <laughs> because like, they'd the have loved is, that. It's... Well, the text of like, which I only read in a couple articles, are just like, oh my God, I'm getting my belly back. I mean, you're seeing also someone who's really sick, who like, you know, has suffered from eating disorders her whole life. Right. It's like. I don't know if her texting her mom that maybe her mom did think she was getting. I don't know their relationship. And obviously weight and parents and moms and daughters is obviously fraught with like just missteps and horrible trauma that we've passed down from generation to generation. But I, I can't. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to continue because it's just the media crucified her Yeah. for years and people still think she did it. You know, um, a gross misuse of a, a gross abuse of a corpse. She was sentenced to seven days in jail, um, but was released because of time served. Um, and she's been on probation for three years. After the verdict, she had an interview with Cosmopolitan and she's quoted as saying, my biggest regret is not having the strength to tell someone that I was pregnant. I wish I would have done it differently. I'm plagued by guilt every day for not telling someone. Mm. She said she wished it was her that died instead of Annabelle. She, during the trial, there's videos of her where she's just, like, stoic and just, like, numb, it feels like. And she talks about how she disassociates as a form of coping. And she just talked about how everybody told her what to say, what to do, and she just followed it. You know, Mm -hmm. she just, like, did what anyone told her to do. After the trial... Annabelle's remains had been in police custody for two years during this trial. So the judge released it to the Richardson family, to Skyler's family, and the paternal grandparents wanted the baby's remains to be released to their family. And the judge was like, no, we're going to, everybody's going to be able to visit the grave site, but we're releasing it to the Richardsons. And they buried it out of their town because it's a small town and they just didn't want anyone really knowing. Skylar says that she visits the grave once a week. She's back in school. She has a job, but because she's on probation, she can't really find other work, but she's working for the um, defense attorneys that represented her. Mm. She's like watering plants, filing papers, basically like just working in their office to give her some purpose. Most importantly, she is receiving treatment for mental health, including her eating disorder, um, PTSD, and depression. And it's reported that she wants to become an attorney one day. Wow. 
So that's what a, story. a story. Yeah. And it's funny because we, we post pictures of it and I, I don't know if I want to post her picture on our Instagram of this in a way. Cause yeah, I'm we'll like, skip it. well, cause I, I also feel like she's someone who's been maligned by the media in a way where, and she's not like Amanda Knox is doing a documentary. She has all this stuff. This woman, she's got her narrative back in control exactly. a little bit. This woman, I mean, think of this case, the sentencing happened in 2019. Wow. So this is still new. And yeah, then this is all pretty new. This is all really new. Um, I, I'm just like, I, you know, my heart goes, yeah. I mean, my heart goes out to the 18 year old girl who was in this position and she had, I mean, like 32 weeks finding out you're pregnant. Wow. That is eight months. You see her at spring break in her bikini. Oh, in her bikini. Oh, my God. Do you want to? I was just in a bikini, by the way. No, I wasn't. I I can now only wear one piece. You of, said that. And I think you, you want to hear bikini. the song that I sang to Griffin while we were in Hawaii. Yeah. Griffin, you ruined my body. Now I look like a sausage falling out of a casing and I'll never get a third husband. <laughs> The third husband line is what gets me. That that one gets me. He'll it's, never get a third husband. Yeah, it's really sad what he's done. I mean, yes, you but know what? he's so worth it. Speaking of, huh? I think I hear him. I think we have to go attend. We call upon you to do the right thing for women. Yeah. So, okay, here's how I want to end the episode. Are you ready for this? I'm so ready. And we're blacking out afterwards. So don't even, I'm not going to quip. Free Britney. Believe Dylan. Join Patreon. I quipped.